All right. Acts 22, are you there? Cool. Let's pray. Father, you've given us your word so that we could know you. And God, I'm thankful for that. And I ask that tonight as we close up our series going through the book of Acts that you would uh, bless our time, that you would open our eyes as we see how you have impacted the life of Paul, would we be encouraged that you desire to impact our lives as well. God, we thank you so much for Jesus and that uh, through Jesus we now have access to you that we didn't have before. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you've given us the freedom to be able to gather together on a Wednesday night and open up your word and hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so through this whole kind of series, we've been looking through the second half of the book of Acts. And uh, through that time, we've been tracking with Paul. We've kind of been following Paul around as he traveled throughout the known world, going from town to town, proclaiming the gospel, talking about Jesus with people uh, publicly. And something very interesting that we've seen, for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to be here for uh, much of those, is that there's kind of this pattern where Paul would like enter into a city, he would uh, declare who Jesus was, he would talk to people about Jesus, he would do this regularly, but then after some time there would be like opposition and people would rise up against him and they would not like what Paul have to, would have to say. And a lot of times this would uh, be prompted with violence and with violence these people would push Paul out of the city, Paul would go to the next town, and this was kind of a pattern that developed. Well, uh, towards the end of these missionary journeys, Paul decided that he was going to head back to the city of Jerusalem. And on his way back to Jerusalem, through kind of every town, because he's traveling by foot, right? He couldn't just like hop on a United Airlines flight and like fly straight to Jerusalem in six hours. It didn't work that way. It took him months to get from where he was to Jerusalem. And so in the cities that he would stop at, he would, you know, stay with the believers that were there. He would stay with the people of the church there. And everywhere he went on the way back, there would be prophets who would come and warn him and say, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. Um, there was even uh, a guy who was so dramatic that he came up to Paul and he took his belt and he wrapped his belt around his feet and his hands like this. And he said, this is what's going to happen to the owner of the belt when he gets to Jerusalem. So everywhere Paul went, he was told, you're going to face suffering when you get to Jerusalem. And yet he, he kept going. He kept going there. He believed that God had called him there for a reason and... Um, that reason was simply to make Jesus known to people who didn't know him. And we talked last week, he uh, had a conversation with the elders of a church um, in a city called Ephesus. And he had, he had said this to them as they questioned him about going to Jerusalem. He had said, I, I, I do not account my life as anything of value or precious to myself, only that I would finish the race and the task that the Lord has given me uh, to proclaim the gospel of God's grace. And so we saw that like Paul has this one-track mind. Um, this is what God has called him to do, is to proclaim the gospel, to make Jesus known to people who do not know him. And Paul was going to Jerusalem to make that happen. Uh, even if it costed him his life, this was a worthy goal for him to pursue. And so in Acts chapter 22, uh, Paul is in Jerusalem. He made it to the city. Uh, he had been there for quite some time. He had met with some of the leadership of the church there. And they had kind of given him some, some wisdom saying like, hey, 
if you do these things, because basically the Jewish people were mad because they, they, they said that Paul was teaching people not to obey uh, the Jewish laws. And it was kind of true, but it wasn't really uh, true completely. We don't have time to get into all of the logistics of that. But so they said, like, Paul, if you go wash yourself ceremonially, you present yourself into the temple as pure, as clean, uh, people won't get so stirred up and riled up. They'll see you walking in obedience to the law, and they'll, they'll, they'll back off. So Paul does these things, and he goes into the temple, and then what happens is uh, this mob forms. And they, they start to respond to Paul and slander Paul and yell at Paul. And uh, this mob, is, is it, it gets so intense where these people are like getting together trying to kill him. And the Roman soldiers who occupied Jerusalem at the time, they were kind of the ones in charge, they saw this happening, and they intervened. And the way that they intervened was they arrested Paul. And so they were taking Paul down into the barracks, basically into the jail, uh, for, for him to just kind of get away, honestly, to keep him safe from this violent group of people. And Paul said, no, um, give me the opportunity to defend myself. And so those Roman soldiers like escorted him out publicly in front of this mob, and Paul has the opportunity to defend himself. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 22. This is Paul defending himself before the mob. Let's start in verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's a, he's a prestigious Jewish teacher. That's who Gamaliel is. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, all of you being the mob, I persecuted this way, that is the church of, of Christ, he persecuted Christians to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul is talking about his story. I found it very interesting as I opened this up. Paul is confronted with a violent mob trying to kill him, and he responds to defend himself by telling his story. And as I kind of thought of it, I, I, I realized something. You know, you and I, we are very, very tempted to ignore opportunities um, to share our faith, to share our stories, to, to basically talk about, you know, we, we, we sometimes try to convince ourselves that there's like this secret formula to telling people about Jesus, and there's not. There's no secret formula. Um, it is as simple as you sharing how Christ has changed your life and whatever that looks like. However Jesus has impacted you, changed your life, and, and talking to people about that. And that's what Paul does here. He gives his personal story on how Jesus had, had changed him. He begins to share a part of his testimony. But you and I aren't just tempted to ignore opportunity. We're, we're tempted to misunderstand our calling. We are. We, um, we try to make our calling um, too specific, if I could be honest. So we, we, we kind of paralyze ourselves as we try to figure out, especially when you guys are your age right now, right? Because a lot of you are thinking about college, you're thinking about, like, what's next for me? Where am I supposed to go? What does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? And those are all good questions to ask. But um, when you think about the question, like, what is God's will for my life? Right? I think that's a question that we all ask. Like, what does God want me to do? That's when we start to get complicated. God wants you to make Jesus known to people. Like, it's literally that simple. Um, and we miss that. We miss the simplicity of what, what Jesus has called us to do. He, he's called you to make him known to people. Now, where you do that might be a little different. Right now, God's called you to do that in school. 
you know, in, in two or three years, you know, when you graduate, God might be calling you to do that at a job. He might be calling you to do it at a college. He might be calling you to do it, um, whatever it is that you're doing. If you're not working or going to school, right? And so he might be calling you to do it, uh, you know, in, in specific places in your school, right? If you're on a sports team. God has placed you on that sports team to reach the people in your, in your circle. Your lunch table. God has placed you at that lunch table for a purpose, for a reason. By design, you are there. And God has orchestrated all of it. Your friend circle, whoever your closest friends are, God has placed you in that circle. Maybe, maybe you're friends with people who are um, not believers. I'm willing to bet you are. I'm almost certain that you are. God has given you those people as an opportunity to do this, to share your story with them. Maybe God has placed you with friends who think they're believers. Right? I think we all know maybe a person or two who kind of claims Christianity as a name only, but, but there's no inward devotion to God. Uh, I'll actually be talking that, about that tomorrow at FCA. Um, but God has placed you by design. Maybe, maybe you have people in your, in your life who have a misunderstanding of Christianity. Like they've kind of twisted the Bible to, and, they, and they think the Bible says these things when it doesn't. Or they think they have to live up to a certain standard that the Bible actually doesn't call them to. God's placed you in those friendships and those relationships by design. But we're tempted to misunderstand our calling in these friendships and ignore opportunities when we get there. Paul knew his calling. He knew the opportunity and he jumped all over it. He jumped all over it. And and here's the thing, like you and I, we can, we can look at these stories and we can begin to like heap guilt on ourselves, right? Like we can, oh, I'll never be like Paul. I'll never be able to do this. And uh, that's not the point of what we're talking about tonight. But what we're talking about is, has God called you to do this? Absolutely. Has, Paul call, has God called you to do it like at the level that Paul is? No. God's probably not going to call you to like stand before a mob and declare your faith to them. That just doesn't happen very often in our, in our, in our community, right? Like, there's not a mob waiting out here on Sunday for, for, for Pastor Dave to walk out and be like, hey, let me tell you about my story. He doesn't do that to an angry mob. He does that to people who are eager to listen and maybe some who aren't eager to listen on a Sunday morning. But here's the deal. God has appointed each and every single one of us, if we're in the faith, to represent Jesus as ambassadors. As, as people who have been called to literally not represent ourselves, not market ourselves, not communicate our image and our desires and our wants and our needs, but to communicate Christ's. That's what an ambassador is. The United States ambassador gets sent all over the world to negotiate with other countries, right? The moment that that guy begins to insert his own opinion about something is the moment where he loses his job. Why? Because he's not supposed to give the, his opinions about things. He's supposed to give opinions on behalf of the United States as a nation. So he's got a script of these are our opinions, these are what we want you to do, and he has to do those exactly. So as Christ's ambassadors, we're not, we're not worried about our opinions, our thoughts, our whatever. It's, it's, it's making our thoughts and seeing our thoughts become molded into the thoughts of God, molded into the actions of God, molded into the actions of Jesus. And that process happens through spiritual disciplines, which we'll talk about next week, how God uses those to make us more like Christ. God's appointing, right? He appoints us. He calls us as his people to be his ambassadors. And his appointing as ambassadors does this for you and for me, for all of us. It dramatically changes the direction of our life. 
God's appointing, God's calling of you dramatically changes the direction of your life. I want that to sink in tonight. I don't want that to just be a sentence that's like, oh yeah, that's true, check. No, 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 I I want us to like sit there and for you to really think about that. The truth of Scripture says that the power of God will change the direction of your life forever. The question for each of us is how, right? Because we all have different stories. My story is not your story. Your story is not my story. And yet the power of God at work in your story is just as powerful as mine. And the power of God at work in my story is just as powerful as yours. And when we try to compare our stories, which I think is what we're tempted to do, we diminish the power of God usually at work in our story because we don't have so-and-so's story. Or we think the power of God's like working really great in our story, but we diminish the power of God working in somebody else's story. The reality is, is the power of God never changes, but the stories do. And that actually makes the power of God bigger because God doesn't just impact one kind of person, does he? He impacts all kinds of people. All kinds of people are one to the faith in Christ. And what we see here is Paul is, is, is on a mission, right? He's on his way to a city called Damascus. He is uh, going to arrest Christians. And then this happens. Verse 14. Or, I'm sorry, verse 6. Let me go back. I'm sorry, guys. Verse 6. That is... Almost all the way at the bottom. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. I love how Jesus just like interrupts whatever Paul is going to do. Paul is on his way, he's doing his own thing, he's about his own business, he's, he's making his name famous through scaring the mess out of believers everywhere and, and killing and arresting believers everywhere. And Jesus just interrupts whatever it is he's doing so that he can change Paul's nature. You see, everything about Paul was in rebellion against God. And it's easy for us to get to that conclusion when we see somebody who's murdering and persecuting people at the church, right? Right? Like when somebody is killing Christians, it's easy for us to say, well, he must be an enemy of God if he's killing God's people, right? But the truth for you and me is, if we do not know the Lord, we are in the same rebellion against God. We are in the same place as an enemy of God. And God interrupts our story through the love of Jesus to make us no longer an enemy, but a son and a daughter. He takes us from the most hostile position to the most intimate position. So we're in this, this position of, 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 of deep, deep judgment to this position of deep, deep blessing as his very, very own children. He changes our nature. Everything about us is different. Everything. And the reason why is because God, when he saves us, when we give our life to Christ, when we begin to trust and rely and depend on Jesus, when we begin to treasure Jesus through faith in him, through through confidence in what we've never seen, that is Christ, 
through confidence in what we've seen through his word and what we've been told about Christ, we're changed. We're changed. God begins to change our desires and what we want becomes to be molded more and more into what God actually wants and, and who we are begins to change because we no longer define ourselves by what we wear or who we surround ourselves with. Our definition of ourselves begins, begins to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And God gives us power in that new nature to overcome sin that we didn't have the power to overcome before. See, Romans talks about this. It talks about that you and I, before we knew Christ, we were slaves to sin. And what that means is that you and I had no choice but to walk in sin. That's the, the power that sin has over us, is that, that we are in rebellion against God, and that rebellion has has consumed us so much that we actually want it and everything in our nature everything in who we are our character all of that is molded and shaped by sin that we received from adam adam and eve were the first to sin and it it was passed down like an inheritance through the rest of the human race until christ that's why they call christ the new adam because christ has taken what adam could not do and he has fulfilled it perfect obedience to god God doesn't just completely alter our our nature and who we are. This begins to change very specific areas of us, starting with our allegiance. Our allegiance. Look at verse 14. So, So just to give you kind of some context, so Paul has this interaction, and then this light that Paul sees, this light of God actually blinds him. And so Paul gets escorted by the guys he's with into the city of Damascus, and he's told by Jesus to wait for a man named Ananias. And Ananias gets there three days later. So Paul is blind for three days, praying. He doesn't know what else to do. He literally sits and prays. He doesn't eat anything for three days. He's kind of blown away about everything that's just happened. The Christ that he had had sought um, essentially to destroy, He, he sought to destroy Christ's people. That Christ confronted him and had a mission for him. And Ananias gives him that mission in verse 14. And he said, this is Ananias talking to Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Circle that if you have a Bible or underline it. Know his will. To know his will, to see the righteous one. You can underline that as well. That's Jesus. And to hear a voice from his mouth. So to know his will, to see Christ, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Why? Why has God appointed Paul those th- to, to, to see and know those three things? Verse 15, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul moves from being dead to sin to alive in God. He moves from being a rebel to a servant, an enemy to a son. God changes Paul's nature and Paul's allegiance begins to shift away from himself and toward Jesus. Everything in Paul is rewired to be centered and revolve around Christ. That means every single decision that he will make 
Christ will be Lord of that decision. He will, he will seek to make that decision come under Jesus. And, and whatever that decision is, if it's not in obedience to Jesus, he's, he's not going to do it. And so Paul seeks more and more and more to come under the authority of Christ with his life. His allegiance has changed. His king has changed. He is no longer living for himself. He is now living for God. God refocuses our lives to be around him and his ways. That's why we need each other. That's why the church is together. Because you and I, we're, we're prone because we're still in this body that's corrupted. We, we are. Um, God changes our nature, but then what happens is, is there's this peace in us that like now we know God, but then there's this inner turmoil that happens. For those of you who have been following Christ for any time, you, you know this because you've struggled with sin, right? Each of us, if we have followed Jesus, we struggle with sin at some capacity. The difference between a Christian and non-Christian is it's actually a struggle, right? Because there's this part of you now that doesn't want to participate in those desires. And so there's this inward war that is going on in your, in your heart. And that, that inward war is actually assurance that you have the Holy Spirit. That's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit because now there's this Holy Spirit power at work in you saying, no, you have the power to overcome that because, because God knows you, because God has saved you, because you have the Spirit of God now. And so you can say no. You have the power to say no to that sin because that you are no longer a slave of sin. You've been freed, as Romans 8 would say. Our allegiance shifts away from ourselves and toward Jesus. That's why we need each other. Because, again, you and I are prone to struggle with sin. And, and usually what happens, if you've ever been in a, a season like where you're in isolation, just whatever's been going on in your life, you're just not around the people of God often, you'll see yourself like compromising more and more and more and be more comfortable with your sin. I just came out of that myself. Um, I was in kind of a, a, like a depressing funk for like four or five months over the fall and through the winter. And it was only when I began to confess sin to Sarah and bring sin into the light with, with Eric and with Dave and with some other close friends of mine like Jay. You guys remember him? He came and spoke here last year. But beginning to put some sin that I had in my heart into the light that I began to see that compromise diminish away and I began to experience victory over those things that I was struggling with. We can't live in isolation. That's why we need each other because our allegiance is no longer to ourselves. Our allegiance is to God and we need help staying focused and driven there. That's why we do this on Wednesday nights. That is one of the primary reasons because we want to help you not be tempted to be isolated. We want you to know that there are people in your life who care about you that you can, you can call at 2 in the morning or whatever when you're struggling with something and you want a reliable, steady voice that you can trust to help you. That's why we do this. Because we care about you. We want to see you continue and, and, and persevere in your faith. But not only that, we see, we see Christ change his pursuits, right? Paul, I mean, it's obvious. Paul moves from killing Christians to, like, joining the faith. It's an amazing transformation. It really is. It's an amazing transformation. And it's, his, it's about his direction and his mission, where he's going and why he's going there. Where are you going? Why are you going there? Why do you go to school? Are you just going to school to get good grades to go to college? Here's the deal. If that's the only reason why you're in school, 
you're going to school for yourself. If the only reason why you're going to school is so you can succeed and have some sort of job in the future, you're going to school for yourself. God has provided you with this wonderful opportunity to, to, to get the word out of who Jesus is and what he's done and how much he has changed you. How much he's changed the world and in the process of changing the world. And so we use the things that we spend our time on as, as assets to, to get the gospel out, as valuable things in our, in our back pockets that we can use to get the good news out. In 2012, I, I uh, came to faith. Uh, God saved me in drug and alcohol treatment in 2012. Um, I was getting clean off drugs. A lot of you guys know that. I'm very open about my story and my past. Um, I had a really cool opportunity. On February 9th, uh, you know how like Facebook does like the, the, the flashback things where like it'll, it'll like, show you like memories of things that had happened? And I, I'm like never on Facebook anymore. I literally get on there for like two minutes every day to see like if one of you has contacted me on Facebook or whatever, and then I get off. Uh, there's really no other use for that or for me than that. But I, I saw something because on, on February 9th in 2014, uh, I proposed to Sarah. And some of you actually saw that. Um, it was on Sunday morning at, in, at Cross Point, and I proposed on the stage at Cross Point because that's the first place Sarah saw me, um, was on the stage sharing my story in 2012 after I gave my life to Christ. And uh, began following Jesus. And uh, a little under that was um, a status post that said, freedom is nice. It was the day I got out of jail a couple years ago, or uh, two years before that. It was February 15, 2012, was the, the, the last time I was in jail and got out of jail. So check this out. This is really crazy. February 15th, 2012, I got out of jail. I put a status up that said, freedom's nice. February 9th, 2014, I proposed to my wife. I was in Christ. I was a believer. February 15th, 2016, my kid was born. I, like, started crying because what I saw was this status post from 2012 of me getting out of jail. And all of the things that happened there that God did to get me out of jail, because I was supposed to go to prison for seven years. And then what happened was I saw immediately a four-year jump from 2012 to 2016, and I saw uh, my wife holding my, my son for the first time. That, to me, was a picture of this, of how dramatic God's change of our life is. I never wanted to be married. I never wanted to have kids. I, I wanted to live for myself. The reason why I proposed to my wife, this is the number one reason why I proposed to Sarah uh, when she was just turned 19 years old. She had turned 19 years old on January 28th, which was like a week and a half before I proposed to her. So Sarah was 19 and I was 20 years old. I proposed to her then, and this is why. Because I knew that God was going to use our marriage to make me more like Jesus. That was the number one reason why I proposed to Sarah. Was because I knew that God was going to use that relationship to, to make me more like Christ. And, and he has. He's been faithful in that. But that's why I married my wife. The second reason was because I loved her 
like crazy. But the first reason was because I knew God was going to use that relationship to make me more holy. That's the difference in allegiance. Because my marriage and why I entered into that had everything to do with the gospel, not myself. And then coming under that was this desire to love and care for my wife, which in and of itself isn't, isn't me fulfilling an emotional need. Right? A lot of us enter into relationships and we say we love somebody and we want to date them because we want to fulfill some sort of emotional need. And I'm, I'm very, very passionate about dating relationships. I'm for dating relationships. Um, sometimes I'm even for them in high school. I really am because I dated Sarah her senior year. So if I, if I wasn't for them, I'd be some sort of hypocrite. Right? Like, let's be honest. Uh, if I told you not to date somebody because you're in high school, I'd be an idiot because I dated my wife in high school. <laughs> but if you're, if you're dating somebody for the right reasons, it's awesome. I'm in. I want to help with that. Uh, that's what I'm here for. That's why I became a pastor. That's why I work with you guys because uh, I want to help you guys work through those things because they, they can get complicated and crazy. And so here's the point. Here's, here's what I'm saying. God is in the process of, of changing and altering people. He's changing and altering creation. He's transforming the world and transforming individuals at the same time. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing right now, and he's doing that through his people by the power of his spirit. That's what's going on. Grand scheme, that's how Christ is at work in the world right now. I have two questions for you. What's your part? And in what ways are you resisting that transforming work? Because God desires to transform you. And that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful because what God is doing is he's stripping away the fallen nature and he's placing on it a redeemed nature, a clean nature, a pure nature, a godly nature, a a beautiful nature that looks like Jesus. In what ways are you resisting that transforming work of change? Here's the thing. We all are at some level. Everyone is at some level. Uh, One of my favorite uh, theologians, which is just a fancy word for saying a smart guy that studies the Bible more than I do, uh, his name is John Calvin. He's dead. Long, long, long gone. He's dead. Uh, he's like from like the uh, 1600s is when John Calvin was. 1500s, 1600s, around then is when John Calvin was around. But he said this, and I, I love this. He said, um, no one can have a true knowledge of God without having a true knowledge of themselves. And no one can have a true knowledge of themselves without a true knowledge of God. I love that. Because what he's saying is that the, the more that we know God, the greater awareness we have of who we are and how he's at work on us, right? Think about it. The longer that you've been following Jesus, hopefully God has been showing you more and more how he wants to work on you, how he wants to make you more and more into a masterpiece that looks like his son. And as our love and knowledge of God grows, our, our knowledge of ourselves grow and where we need work. And so the question isn't if, you're resisting. The question is what you are resisting. How are you resisting? So in what ways are you resisting God's transforming work of change? Here's the deal. A lot of us get upset 
about conviction. We think it's uncomfortable, right? Like when God convicts us of something, we just kind of like sit in the corner and we're like, dang, come on. And sometimes we see it as a little bit of an inconvenience. I'm guilty of that too. Or maybe I say something that I wasn't supposed to say or do something that I wasn't supposed to do or think something that I wasn't supposed to think or feel something that I might have not uh, needed to feel. But the convicting work of God is evidence of his love for you. I want you to know that. When you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, that is not God's judgment on you. That is God's kindness toward you and his love toward you showing you how he wants to make you more like Jesus. It's not his judgment. We have no idea what his judgment will be like if we're in Christ. Because Christ bore the weight of that judgment. Christ took that judgment upon himself so that we don't have to if we believe in faith that Christ is the Son of God and was resurrected. and He came and bore the weight of that sin and died and now sits at God's right hand waiting to be sent back to bring the redemption of all things to its fullness, to its, to its perfection. In what ways are you resisting God's transforming work to change? Because he's, he wants to change your nature. He wants to change your allegiance. He wants to change your pursuits. In what ways are you resisting that tonight? Maybe something for you to think about. Let's pray. Lord, following you is hard work. It's hard work. And even though sometimes it might uh, feel discouraging because of you know, one thing or the other, God, I pray that your word would continue to be an encouragement to us. Lord, that when it feels hard, that's by design. Because what you're doing is you're, you're making us hold on to you tighter. And so tonight, God, I, I, I pray for, for, for those of us in here who, who might be feeling the, the hardship of following Jesus right now, God, I pray that they would take comfort knowing that you are using that, that you are at work in that, that that hardship is not worthless in your hands because you are using that to draw them closer to you. God, we want to be closer to you. We want to grow in Jesus. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.